0: I really do appreciate that. I'm excited to dive into this outsider series. Uh, some of you might not know this, I have felt like an outsider before. In fact, Greg is the one who is kind of responsible for me not feeling that way anymore. For those of you who don't know, almost right at two years ago, uh, my wife and I packed up everything that we had and we moved, well, we brought our children too, and then we moved, we moved to North Carolina, and uh, it was exciting, we love the mountains, we love, you know, it's just, it's a beautiful place to be, but I'm going to be really honest with you, we also knew nobody here, Uh, and there was just like this, a little bit of maybe terrifying would be the word I would use, just like this fear of like, am I going to fit in, are they going to be like mountain people, or you know, like, what is this going to be like? And uh, just all those kind of doubts and questions, I started thinking about the church. Like, am I going to fit into in the church? Am I going to be able to keep up, like, with what God is doing at Upward? Because it was really obvious, like, God was up to something here, and that was exciting. And I'll be honest with you, I felt like an outsider for a little while. And it wasn't really until I, I got the chance to sit down with Greg and just started having some conversations about life and just kind of realized, oh, well, if they can accept that guy, <laughs> man, oh, Greg, I'm sorry, that was a cheap... Cheap joke, and uh, in all honesty, he really has made me feel at home, and uh, just grateful to be able to share my heart today, and I'd love it if we could, if we could just dive into Scripture to start off today. Is that okay? Today, we're going to be looking at the, the, just kind of this snapshot moment of this woman in Scripture. We don't know her name. The only name we really know her by is the Canaanite woman, and that's how she's referred to in this passage, and so if you're uh, following along in the Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be in verse 21. And what I'd love to do is just kind of read through this passage, and then after that, we're going to try to dissect it together. Deal? Verse 21, it says this, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. And then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. And then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. And Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, That's true, Lord. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now, see, you guys are a lot more optimistic than I was when I read this passage. (laughs) I said, this is what I have to preach on? Did Jesus really just call her a dog? Um, Here's the deal. We're going to dissect this. But if you just open your Bibles and you read this passage of Scripture, it kind of seems like Jesus is being a jerk. Anybody? Yeah, okay. I'm just making sure I'm not alone in that. If I am, it's fine. But it kind of it has that feeling to it, right? There's actually people who, who suggest that it was actually this moment where Jesus learned compassion and grace. There are people out here who believe that, that, that really, honestly, they say Jesus was a jerk until this woman came and changed his whole life, Right? And as amusing as that is, that is just not the case, right? John 1, 14, it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth, right? And so we can rule that out. That is not the case. He knew what grace was, and he was ready to imply it. This moment did not change him forever. In fact, I think this was kind of the moment. Everything he did was a moment that was about to change everything forever. But I think that this was a moment that was in itself was about to launch a whole different perspective about what the kingdom might look like. And so the question is this, if Jesus was not being a jerk here, which I do not believe that he was, what the heck is going on, <laughs> right? Scholars, there's scholars who have studied just this passage of scripture, and I'm gonna be really honest with you. They don't all agree. They don't all think all the same things. Go figure, we don't all agree on everything. But here's what I wanna do. I just wanna dive into scripture, looking at it through the lens of what it might've felt like from her perspective, to look at it through an outsider's lens and say, hey, what's going on in this passage? And so I'm gonna share with you my heart I'm not, I'm not one of the scholars that I just talked about, but I've tried my hardest to kind of read through the book of Matthew in this passage, and I just want to share with you what I feel like God has laid on my heart today as we go through this. And so just like we talked about in the Say What series a couple weeks back, this is one of those passages you have to make sure you read in context, because if you do not read it in context- Again, it seems like Jesus is being a little bit of a jerk. And so you need to know what was going on before and what's happening in in this area and all those kinds of things. And so I'm going to try to give you like the fast-forward Matt version of everything that just happened, okay? So just before this, uh, Jesus is teaching, he's talking, he's, he's he's having a moment, and there's all these Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they start asking him questions about why his disciples aren't doing certain things that the rules and the laws say they're supposed to do, like wash their hands and eat certain kinds of food and all that. And he basically, again, Matt paraphrased, just says, your rules don't matter anymore. Please stop asking me these questions, right? He, he's actually quoted in there as saying something along the lines of, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that is going to defile you, right? And so he says all that. And then probably my favorite part of this is his disciples pull him to the side and go, do you realize that you just offended them? And as we know, Jesus was really upset. He didn't realize he had offended anyone. He didn't want to do that. Um, no, he actually, this is where that term blind leading the blind comes from. Jesus says to them, he says, don't worry about them. They are like the blind leading the blind. And so the disciples go, okay. And then Peter, I believe it was Peter, he asks, he says, well, then you will you explain to us what you mean by what you put into your mouth is not what defiles you, it's what comes out of your mouth. And this, this part right here, with Jesus' response, I think, is really, really important to the setup here because Jesus responds by saying this. He says, don't you understand yet? He's talking to his disciples and he says, Don't you understand yet? And just kinda in preparing for this week, I read through the book of Matthew a couple times and a little bit of Mark as well, and I realized that this question or some different variations of this questions to his disciples. Uh, Jesus asked that question a lot of his disciples, like, how do you not understand this yet? What don't you get yet? And he goes on to explain to them in this passage, you know, I'm talking about what comes out of your mouth. It's a reflection of your heart. That is the thing that is going to defile you, right? But then the thing I really want you to grasp is, is that I believe in this moment when Jesus says, don't you understand yet? I think he switches totally into teacher mode. Full-on disciple-maker mode Jesus. He's not, he's not talking to, to anybody else. He is with his disciples, and he has switched into teacher mode. There's actually a study, Bible professor and theologian, Paul Benware. He says that about 60% of Matthew's gospel is all about Jesus as teacher. Right? In other words, he dedicated the majority of his gospel to just talking about how Jesus would teach them. And so that's where we pick up in the story. That's where we're at. Jesus is in full-on teacher mode. And so I just let's keep that in our mind. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, and they've just left the situation that they're in about all the rules and the laws, and they're going to go away from that, right? And it seems like the, the disciples are not really too concerned about what Jesus has been trying to teach them. They're still so worried about the rules and the laws, okay? And so that's where we pick up. So verse 21, we're going to dive in. You guys still with me? Okay, good, because we just started. So we're in trouble if you're not. Uh, Verse 21. Then Jesus left Galilee, and he went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Or you might say Tyre. I don't know how you'd say it, but Tyre and Sidon. And what's, what's important to note here is that Jesus, actually, he would go off like this from time to time for a few different reasons. One reason would be he, he, he felt like he was in danger. People might be after him, and he knew it wasn't his time to go to the cross yet, right? So that would be one reason. Another reason he would, he would go away would just be to just get alone and pray. And then another reason, which I believe is probably the main reason he went off on this trip with his disciples, he would get away so that he could teach his disciples, Okay. And so I think that that's what he's doing in this moment. And the reason I think that is because this is not just a day trip that he takes. Okay. Tyre is 25 miles north of Galilee. And then Sidon is 25 miles past that. Okay. Which most of us today will probably travel 25 miles, but we are not taking a donkey or walking by foot at any point during that trip. Okay. So you're talking about this could have been a month's worth of travel involved in this journey. And so to me, that, communicates that there was some intention and intentionality to this trip. He was going for a purpose larger than to just get away from some Pharisees that he might have offended. Does that make sense? We all tracking, you with me? Okay, also it's important to note right here that this is the only time in Jesus' ministry, at least recorded in scripture, that he travels outside of Jewish territory into Gentile territory. And so I personally believe he wanted to show his disciples, hey, these are the people I'm calling you to reach. I'm gonna be leaving soon, this is what it's going to look like, and this is what I need you to do. Because here's the deal. Jesus, yes, he came to give up his life and to extend grace to you and to me and to everyone on this planet and to die on a cross and to rise from the dead. Yes, he came to do that. But if that's all he did and he didn't raise up these leaders, these disciples, we wouldn't be sitting here today, right? It wouldn't have spread. It would have been a moment in time, and then it would have, it would have passed. And so he said, I'm going to get away, and I'm going to teach my disciples, And so this is that only time he went out and he said, these are the people you're going to reach. These are the outsiders that I'm calling you to reach. William Barclay, he's a Scottish author and a minister. He says this, he says, the supreme significance of this passage is that it foreshadows the going out of the gospel to the whole world. It shows us the beginning of the end of all barriers. In other words, this moment it was not just an accident. This moment, I believe, was a catalyst in the disciples' life that was going to launch them into this idea of go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Which, can I just tell you, I'm super excited about that moment coming up next week, our baptism services. I can't wait to celebrate that. It's going to be really good. Okay, back on track. I'm sorry. He, and Jesus, he hasn't spoken those words yet. He hasn't, he hasn't said go into all the world and preach the gospel and all those things. But he's beginning to paint that picture in, in the hearts and the minds of his disciples and I love that we get to see that and unpack that together today. And so that's where we're at, verse 22. You guys still with me, right? Okay, verse 22, it says, A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. And so there's two things I want to point out in here. First of all, it says she was a Gentile woman. Another translation says a Canaanite woman, okay? So immediately, the thing to notice is there is an immediate tension, right? And the main thing to know is, Canaanite, Israel, there is tension because of past and history, and we won't dive into all that because I don't have time for that. Uh, but just know there is an immediate tension and know that Matthew went out of his way to communicate that. This is actually the only time in all of the New T- Testament that the word Canaanite is used at all, right? So he went out of his way to make sure we knew there was, it was awkward, there was a weird tension in the air, she approached us, it was weird, right? That's what he's trying to communicate, I believe. Right? And so she's a Canaanite and then she's a woman Right? And I don't know if you know this, but women were treated a little bit differently back in the day. Okay? Uh, and again, I'm not going to dive into that. We actually tackled that topic back in our last series. But no, again, Canaanite woman, she's an outsider. And then there's no mention of a husband. Right, We don't know what that means, but we know that none of the things that it could mean are going to make her any less of an outsider. Right? And then, just to make matters worse, she's coming up and she's begging people for stuff. Right? So basically, here's what I want you to take note of. This, this woman is about as much as an outsider as somebody could be, especially according to all the laws and the rules that they had just been talking about with the Pharisees. Okay, you're with me. Number two, second thing to notice, she recognizes Jesus. And I don't mean, I don't mean the person Jesus that happened to be walking by. I don't mean the guy that has been doing miracles and saying cool things that people like. No, she recognizes something else. She, she says this she says have mercy on me O lord son of david she calls him son of david which that is if you don't know that that is a call back to his his genealogy that's saying you came from the line of david and the reason that's important is because because the messiah was prophesied that that he would be born in the line of king david and so this is not just a statement about you know a genealogical you know line of what i don't know you know this is her saying i I'm declaring (laughs) you are that long-awaited Savior. You are that long-awaited rescuer, deliverer, Messiah. And hear me, that is not just something somebody would say. Especially not a Canaanite woman who most likely didn't believe that he was her Savior at all. She most likely believed that he he was the rescuer of Israel, that he was the rescuer of the insiders, not an outsider like herself. Does that make sense? But she notices something. She notices who he is. And I think that's what we can take away because I believe we need to recognize Jesus for who he is, not what he can do. You need to learn to recognize him for who he is, Jesus, son of David, not as a guy that can maybe help me with this thing that I'm going through. And I know for us, maybe that looks a little bit different. Maybe that looks a little bit different for you and me because, see, I think, I think we, we actually, we can be pretty good at recognizing Jesus. We recognize him like when we pray and we pray and he shows up and he does something. Even if it's not quite exactly what we prayed, we go, you know what? I see that maybe he showed up there. We, we can be really good at recognizing Jesus when he shows up. But again, we tend to recognize him for what he can do and not just simply for being Jesus, son of David for being who he is and his character, creator of everything. The word that was spoken in the beginning that created everything, that was Jesus, right? And I think we need to figure out a way to attach our faith to that, not just to the things that he can do. And we're going to see as we move forward why that's so important. And so this woman, she cries out, she says, son of David, and she makes her plea. And then verse 23, it says this, but Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. And I just want to pause there for a minute. Anybody been in that moment before? (laughs) I would bet. I would bet most of us, if not all of us, in the room watching online. uh, Let's just say, last year and a half or so, it feels like. Are you going to answer this? Do you hear me? Are you going to respond? And it's in those moments that it's so important to make sure, again, that you recognize Jesus for who he is, yes. not what you want him to do. I, uh, some of you may know this, some of you may not. My, uh, my brother-in-law, actually, just a few months back, he passed away, which is still super hard. I'm going to be really honest. It's just super hard to like go through that and feel that and then just see a picture. And all of a sudden, it's like, ugh. And then I think about my wife and how she feels, and I think about her parents and how they feel and going through that, and like there's, there are these moments in, in life where you just kind of go, where are you at? And the silence sometimes can be deafening. And again, I, I don't mean to keep harping on it, but I do kind of like, If it wasn't for the fact that my faith was attached to who Jesus is, Jesus, son of David, I promise you I wouldn't be standing up here today. I would be somewhere, I don't know, weeping somewhere. But because of who I know he is, I know there's a purpose, I know there's a plan, I know there's a hope and a future. And as much as it hurts in this moment, I can't wait to see that hope in that future. I can't wait to meet Jesus, son of David, face to face and be in awe and cry out, holy, 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 Lord God almighty. I can't wait for that moment because my faith is not attached to something he did or didn't do. It's attached to who he is. You know, I was talking, I was actually talking with Greg a little earlier this week, just kind of running some thoughts by him about the message and he reminded me of the truth. And I just feel like I want to make sure I remind you all of it as well. Simply this don't confuse Jesus silence with his absence. Don't confuse his silence with his absence. If you notice in the passage, Jesus doesn't actually go anywhere. He just, he doesn't say anything, but still he sits there. And just as a side note, you know, I just, I want to say, I just want to look at you and say, Jesus made a promise. Not that, not that you would always get what you want, but that he would never leave you and that he would never forsake you. And so when he feels a million miles away, cling to that promise. Cling to the promise that he is with you. And when, he, when it feels like he's distant, know that he's standing with you. And whatever you're going through, he is going through that with you. And I'll be honest with you, the challenge when we don't get that answer or when we sit in that deafening silence A lot of times it almost makes you feel even more like an outsider. It makes you feel like, like, am I not worth this? You know, do you hear me? Do you see me? Do you know me? And so I'm just going to say it one more time and I'll move on. Recognize Jesus for who he is, not what he can do. But more than that, recognize Jesus when he doesn't do anything at all. Because the truth is he's not always going to do something. And when he doesn't do something, you need to be able to recognize who he is, to worship him for who he is, not what he can do. And so here's the deal. I think that Jesus in this moment, he's silent. But I don't think he was silent just for the sake of being silent. I think he was being silent as a test. And if you go and you look at Jesus' life and his ministry, you'll notice that he likes to, to throw a test out here and there. Okay. And uh, in this moment, I think he's testing this woman, but I think really more than that, I think this is a moment where he wants to test his disciples to see what are they going to do. Right. And as we're going to see, they pass with flying colors. No, they do not. But again, keep in mind, Jesus is, is trying to teach them. These are the people I need you to reach when I'm gone. These are the people I need you to reach. So verse 23, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. So see, past flying colors, perfect. Um, Okay, so there's actually a couple different ways that this passage can be translated. One is very simply just tell her to go away, she's bothering us. And then the other, which is the one that I tend to think is probably a little bit more accurate to what happened, mainly because of how Jesus responds in just a minute. So the other way is this. Simply they would say, Jesus, will you just give her what she wants so she will leave us alone, right? And before we move on, I just want to call back to where they were just at with the Pharisees when Jesus was trying to explain to them the things that go into your mouth do not defile you. It's the things that come out of your mouth that are a reflection of your heart. And I believe in this moment, they failed the test miserably. They showed the contents of their heart towards this woman. And that's where we're at. And then Jesus probably shook his head. That's my guess and just went, okay. And then he responds. Verses 24 and 25, he says this. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again. Another translation says that she came and kneeled down before him, pleading again, Lord, help me. And then Jesus takes it up a notch jesus responded it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs and some of you are like okay matt explain that for us thanks (laughs) i uh for those of you don't know i have a i have a son andrew he's 10 i have a daughter ellie she is five and uh I, i got into a disagreement with one of them he shall remain nameless but you know uh we got into a disagreement at one point and uh I honestly don't remember what it was about. I don't remember what was going on. I just know that I said no. I would guess there was probably chocolate cake or something involved, but I would really have no idea. I just know I was not giving him what he wanted, and his emotions kept rising and rising and rising and rising. And then he blurted out the words no father wants to hear. You're the worst dad in the world. And he stomped off to his room, and he went in there and closed the door. And I just let him stay in his room. I said, that's, that's probably good. You should probably stay in there. Um, I knew if I went in there, it wasn't going to be a great rest of the day for anybody. And I'll be honest with you, he stayed in there for quite a while. Uh, He's a thinker. He was pondering. I knew he regretted it before he even made it in his room. And then he came out quite a while later. And I think his plan was kind of to just like hope that maybe everything would be forgotten and nobody would remember what just happened. But then he had the nerve to ask me for something. (laughs) And I think I responded like every dad in the room would have responded with, well, I'd love to but I'm the worst dad in the world, you know, so. Here's the reason I tell that story. I think that that might be a little bit of the tone that Jesus has in this moment, right? And this is, that's the reason I believe that the disciples, the, 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 the way that they responded to the woman was, "Will you just give her what she wants so she'll leave us alone. And then I think Jesus, he, he, he looks at his disciples. The words are directed at her, but I think he looks at his disciples the whole time. And I think he just looks at him and he goes, well, I would love to, guys. But I only was sent to, you know, feed the Israelites. You know, it wouldn't be right for me to take the food from all of you children and feed it to the dogs. And then as he looks down at the woman and says dogs, that's the part that's like, Ur. So here's the deal. There's a word that Jesus uses for dogs. The word is kunarian, right? This is actually the only time in all of Scripture that it's, it's used is in this passage. Actually, in this account and then also in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus uses this word and she responds using this word, kunarian. And here's the deal. She would have been used to to being called a dog. She would have been used to being called a Gentile dog or an infidel dog. But Jesus uses this word, Canarian, which is used to describe like a household dog, a pet. Anybody have a pet? Anybody have a pet that they call their kid? Oh, my Lord. How did more hands go up? You didn't even refer to it as a pet the first time. You were waiting for the kid. Okay. I'll be honest with you, I do not have a pet, I do not have a dog, but my parents have a dog, and they actually just dropped it off at our house for a little over two weeks, because they're traveling out of the country, and uh, so they packed up all this dog's luggage, they packed up all their luggage, and then they made their way to our house. And I'll be honest with you, I think the dog had more luggage than they had for their two-week trip out of the the country, right? And so they show up with this massive, basically home away from home that they put in our living room. It has like a sunshade, and there's like a bed, and there's... There's a pillow and some sort of fluffy night-night. You know, dog has not been in there one time. I just want to point that out. Um, And then obviously they brought like food bowl and water bowl. And obviously can't leave home without the little dog bone shaped mat that goes under that because how would the dog survive without that? And then, then he goes back to the truck and brings in this massive box of toys, pretty sure more toys than I ever had as a child. So that's another conversation for my therapist. Uh... And then the thing that really sent me over the edge, right? They have this, it's, I mean, it's about this big. There's a camera right here, which is now connected to my phone through an app, right? And in that app, there's a button that you can push, and it just launches treats out into the house. Does that seem normal? Does that seem how you would treat a Gentile dog or an infidel dog? No, here's the point I'm making. Jesus is making a definite distinction to this woman. And so I think this is what happened. He looks at the disciples and says, well, guys, I'd love to, but it wouldn't be right for me to feed the children and throw the scraps to the dog. Please forgive me, ma'am. I'm so sorry, but I need to get something through their heads. Okay. I think that's what he communicated with that word to her. Okay. (laughs) You guys are like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Here's the deal. Jesus is painting a picture. He's painting a picture of a table, and at that table are all the insiders, the children. And down here is this cute little puppy, right? The dog. And I think he's trying to get a message into his disciples' heads. And it's almost like a question: is like, is this really what you think? Is this really what you think I'm up to? And so she responds, verse 27. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. See, I think this woman got it. I think this woman got, well, he just invited me into the house. So this Gentile, this this outsider, she recognized that she was just that, that she was an outsider. And not in, the, not in the way that maybe all of Israel had made her feel. Not in the way that, that, that maybe the disciples had just made her feel in this moment. She realized she was an outsider in the sense that she knew she had, she, she had no right to come before Jesus, son of David, and ask anything. She knew she wasn't worthy to be in his presence. And so she falls at his feet and she makes her request Humbly. And, you know, as I, as I read through this, I kept coming back to that line, like, why is her response such a great response? It, actually, in the book of Mark, it, it, it says that Jesus says, good answer, with an exclamation point, like, good answer, and then gives her what she, what she needs. And I'm like, why is that such a good answer? I'm going to tell you what I think. Bet you didn't know that was coming. I'm going to give you the Matt translation of what I think she was saying when she said, even, even the dogs get the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Here's what I think she was saying. I think she was saying this. Your disciples don't seem to be eating everything you're trying to feed them. So I'll take what they're dropping on the floor. I'll take whatever they're dropping. I'll take whatever you're giving. In other words, I'm picking up what you're putting down. And so verse 28, best part of the whole story. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, right? That could actually be translated to your faith is epic. You have an epic faith. Great doesn't really do a great job of explaining what Jesus is trying to communicate there. You have an epic faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now, I wish I had a whole other hour that we could keep diving into this and pulling out all the nuggets that are in there. But I really just want to kind of close out today by asking the question, when you, when you think of that picture that Jesus is painting, there's a table there. Maybe there's some people seated around it. Maybe there's some people just waiting to find some scraps? Where do, you, where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as you know an insider? Do you see yourself as an outsider? Do you see yourself as the dog? You know, like where, where are you in that? And I'll admit this is a little bit of a trick question because here's the reality. We are all outsiders. Every single one of us. No matter how together you think your life is, I promise you, you're an outsider. I'm an outsider. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All right? In other words, Jesus had this standard, this perfect, beautiful standard. And all of us are in this area somewhere. None of us, none of us have met that. And so the reality is none of us are worthy to sit at the table. Probably my favorite passage of scripture in all the scripture, Matthew chapter 11. It's just a couple chapters earlier, verse 28. It says, then Jesus said, come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. All right, he says all. And there's no, well, there is a caveat, but there's no caveat like once you get your life together, come to me. It isn't like come to me all of you who, who have made all the right choices and have balanced the scales of good and evil. Then come to me and I will give you rest. No, the only caveats are come to me all of you with burdens, I think we can all check that box, right? All of you who are weary, thank you 2020 and 2021, we've got that one checked too. Basically, Jesus is saying, come to me, everybody on the planet, and I promise you, right? He makes a promise, I will give you rest. And it has nothing to do with who you are. It has nothing to do with what we can accomplish and what we can gain and how good we can do, right? Ephesians chapter 2. 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believe. Not when you got it together, but when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And see, the disciples hadn't gotten that yet. They saw themselves sitting at the table. And they were kind of boasting about it. They were, they were putting something off on her that they had no right to put off on her. And can I just be honest today, I, I'm not talking specifically about upward, but I think the church as a whole worldwide has a tendency to be really, really good at making sure people know that they're an outsider. Yeah. The church as a whole, we have a tendency of being really good at making people feel worthless because they don't seem to measure up. But where do we get off doing that when we all know full well we don't measure up to this standard either? And so if you happen to step foot in this place today or tune in online today and that's you and somebody in the church has made you feel that way, can I just say on behalf of the bride of Christ, on behalf of the church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That is not the heart of Jesus. But can I tell you the disciples, the disciples that followed Jesus day and night messed it up too. And his heart is still that you would come to him. And find rest. Find rest. And so here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to just pray over you today. If you would, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And here's my hope. Is that as you know, we we know dive into scripture and we kind of dissect this moment in, in somebody's life that that you could reflect on your life. That you could look at the moments in your life when you have felt like an outsider. And then you could just that you could just step into an acceptance of the reality of you are an outsider. We are all outsiders. But if you're here today and you're willing to say, yes, I am an outsider, but today I also want to take the step to recognize Jesus for who he is. If you're here today and you want to take that step to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give him my life to him, not because of what he can do for me, but because of what he has already done for me on a cross and the grace that he has extended to me. If you're here today and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, again, this is not a chance for, for us to single you out in a room. This is a chance for us to celebrate with you. But if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus today, would you just slip a hand up and just let us know that today you're going to be making that step in your faith in the journey. My guess is there's, there's people in the room today as well that, that you know you are guilty of being the one who sits at the table and for whatever reason casts off judgment. And maybe, it, I'll be honest with you, the tendency I think in our culture is not necessarily to do that in person. think we find ways of doing that on on social media or behind people's back and if that's you i'm not going to ask you to slip your hand up i just want to ask you to search your heart today and if you need to come before god and just cast that at his feet i challenge you to do that god as we come before you this morning first of all we just recognize who you are (laughs) that you are god that you are holy that you are creator of everything that we know And we come before you, Jesus, Son of David. And we just say thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And I just ask right now that as we gather together, that that you would speak new life into us. That you would be our hope. That we would look forward to the hope of who you are. Not necessarily in the situations that we go through, but the hope of an eternity spent with you, God so right now, God, I just ask that you would move in this place, that as we, as the, as we worship today, that our hearts would speak out to you, that, that what's inside of our hearts would be reflected through the words that we sing today, God, and that you would show up and that you would do something in our lives. We love you and we pray in Jesus' holy name. You guys just lift your hands and receive this. Here's what I'd love to do. I'd just love to speak a blessing over you of epic faith. A faith that is so epic that when it was out of this place, it cannot help but recognize Jesus wherever you go. Again, not because of anything that he's doing, but because of the fact that you see him everywhere you go. Recognize him today as you leave this place, Jesus, son of David, Messiah, Savior. Now go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Live it out. Live it out, live it out. Thank you guys so much for being here. Can't wait to see you again soon. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash upwardchristianfellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.